Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporty Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content so you can see our beautiful faces uh, on uh, the 810 Facebook page and the 810 YouTube page. Uh, my beautiful face is uh, Nate Bucati. That's Ali Trost and Carter Augustine. I'm pointing this way as if it's going to show up this way on the TV, but I'm not sure. Um, but uh, but I'll bring you guys in right away. Ali, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Just uh, looking forward to a unusual week, I guess. Was expecting a sporting game on Wednesday, but we have a first full game week and I don't know how long. So I guess it, it also feels weird. Yeah, I um. I, I'm not the one that has to go out and play in the game. So I have to be honest, there was a little bit of disappointment when I was like, oh, I don't get a game in the middle of the week. I've actually kind of enjoyed having all these games, but I'm, I think the players need the time. Carter, how you doing, man? And you're on the sidelines standing up that whole time too. So your legs probably need a little time off. <laughs> uh, it is weird. Yeah, it's going to be a almost normal match week. So that'll be a, a, a change of pace, but. I don't know, Nate. It seems like talking to the guys over the past few weeks, and we've heard a few of them say, you know, we're players that like to play games, so we don't mind missing practice to to uh, to play a soccer game. But I, I I do think their legs will probably get a little bit of a benefit from this uh, this missed game in the midweek. So let me lay out the menu on the show for you today. We're going to talk with Eric Hurtado, uh, who scored a goal in the last game for Sporting KC, the two-two draw against Chicago and also, of course, uh, had the Worldie uh, a little over a week ago. So uh, we'll talk with him coming up on the show, also expecting Papa to be. And uh, we'll talk to him about all that stuff. Then Paulo Nagamura, the head coach of Sporting KC2, they wrapped up their very difficult, almost exclusively road trip of a season in USL. So we'll talk with Paulo about that as well. We'll recap these last couple games for sporting and look ahead to the game over the weekend against Colorado. Plus uh, I want to talk supporter shield uh, with you guys as well. Um, and, and I actually, I'm not going to start there. I'll start with some quick thoughts on the fire game and the, the well, the two game road trip, a lot of controversy guys. Uh, we know about what Peter Vermees had to say after the, you know, the, the goal that was disallowed in Dallas there were a couple of questionable situations. I think a stonewall penalty that should have been given in the game in Chicago that didn't even get reviewed. And then this extra, extra time, which I don't know, there's vagaries there about stoppage time and all of that. But I think it's pretty clear that Sporting KC feel like maybe they haven't gotten the favorable whistle here is probably the most uh, politically correct way to say it. I'm curious for you, Ali, if you think this carries over uh, into the way they play these last five games of the season and what your take on that situation is. I, I don't think it'll carry over in a negative way. This team has proven so far in this very already difficult season to have a lot of mental stability and strength throughout many adverse situations. And, you know, hearing from different players, it, it sounds like they almost look at it as, you know, just kind of feeding that, that hunger to, to win and perform and do well. And so if anything, I think it's going to be extra motivation for them here down the stretch to try and maximize the number of points because sometimes things that are out of your control, like calls or no calls by the referee are going to happen. Unfortunately, they just happened in back-to-back -back games in really frustrating ways. So it kind of amplifies that frustration a bit, but I think that this team uh, is, is in a good place mentally. And now getting some, some key players back from injury is going to be great for them. They've got a lot of guys now with experience. So if anything, I think, you know, it's something, hey, 
what's in the past is in the past. Let's move on and let's really look ahead to this final stretch of regular season games to try and finish at the top of the West. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. I think it's, it's something that might galvanize the team together. Just, uh, that's the type of group that they have in the team. And it seems to me, at least the reaction that I've seen from the team over the, the last week and seeing these calls kind of go against them. Um, I don't know about you guys. I thought it was interesting. Peter Vermees last week, um, I think was talking about that old adage that the calls even out over the, the course of the season, I believe he called it a crock. So um, not uh not quite the big believer in the, the calls evening out, but if they do, you have to figure Sporting's going to get a few here down the down the stretch or maybe in the playoffs. Um, we'll see if the 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 call karma pays off. But um, I agree with Ali. I agree that uh, I think just just this group of guys in the in the locker room that they have, um, it won't get them down, but rather they'll they'll kind of use it as as further motivation. Not that they needed any, but it's always kind of the thing, right? Uh, yeah these professional athletes are a different, different type of person, different type of individual. And um, you give them just a little bit extra. And sometimes that's, that spells danger for opposition. Yeah. I was actually thinking about exactly what Peter said about things evening out when they reviewed Amadou Diaz clearance off the line on the goal that Chicago scored thinking, Boy, this seems like it's and, and maybe it was the right call. I can't sit here and really tell you. I don't feel like I saw anything that was definitive enough to overturn it personally because the camera angle wasn't on the goal line. And just because it showed some space between the line and the ball from 30 yards up the field doesn't mean that it definitively crossed the line. Maybe they saw one, uh, an angle that we didn't see, but I didn't. But even if it was the right call, I just felt like this is almost an extra kick in the in the midsection to have the goal disallowed and not get reviewed. And then you make a big fuss about it and you turn back around and you think you've st you've stopped the goal from being scored and it gets reviewed and they award it. And then the stuff that happened after that, it was kind of like, not only does it not even out, it almost seems like it's doubling down on itself right now for sporting. But I I'm with you guys in my history as my time as a sporting KC fan and then broadcaster, the best sporting teams I've ever seen have almost been the ones that have played like it's us against the world. And I'm starting to see that sense build up of this team. And guys, the crazy part is when you watch the rest of the weekend, Sporting KC ends the weekend one point off of first place still. Seattle and Portland play against each other this week. So it's a very real possibility they split the points or at least one of those teams isn't going to make any progress on them. And with the five games on the schedule for sporting to close things out, I think first place is still very much up for grabs. Now, look, you got to worry about what's below you too. But I think if sporting KC go out and rack up a good number of wins over these last five games, I think that all of their goals are kind of still in place. What do you think, Allie? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And like I mentioned, they're about to get uh, some key players back. Alan Polito being a big one there. And, and I think what's been really promising about this team going forward is the ways that they found to win games or maybe not even win, but, you know, have really close results. I, I would even call, you know, the loss on the road against Dallas and, and then the draw against Chicago really close games where I thought sporting Kansas city could have, you know, easily come away with a point, three points, unfortunately things didn't go their way, but they're finding ways to get important results or close to those results with different players on the field. So I think that that's really the promising thing here going forward for sporting. 
Yeah, and what's really impressed me is about this team, I think it speaks to your guys' point, is that I feel like throughout this long season, there's been stretches where different people on the team have kind of stepped up their game to to keep the momentum going forward, carry the team a little bit. Uh, another player's form falls off, and it seems that a different player will step in and, and fill the void. And um, we've seen, as Ali was just talking about, a lot of players get meaningful minutes this year for the first time. And and as both of you have just said, hopefully that pays dividends for sporting down the end. Um, I, I do really I, – I feel like there's a good feeling around this team. Uh, they're, they're coming together, and collectively, I, I, I agree. I think the – Top spot in the West, still well within uh, range. Obviously, Seattle's got the game in hand right now, and we'll see uh, see how their schedule shakes down. But, yeah, this Portland game, I think everyone in sporting colors will be rooting for a draw there to split the points. Um, but I, I am curious the reaction after this because, yeah, the call is going to go against them, but at the same time, I think they're a, a little disappointed with conceding the goal. It's just a, a hopeful ball up the field, really almost a clearance, it seemed, at the end, just to get it up the field as quickly as possible and goes straight down the middle and, uh, and winds up in the back of the net. So I have to imagine they're, they'll be disappointed with the way that they conceded because uh, didn't they do so well after scoring the Gotti Kina goal to, it seemed, waste all the rest of the time um, and for all that work to kind of be undone in the last second, I have to imagine they'll be kicking themselves. Well, and, and yeah, no, no doubt about that. After the game, he mentioned, you know, it was really those final five minutes of the first half and then that final just poor clearance that landed in probably the worst possible spot and really a, a, a lucky opportunity for Chicago. Um, but it just goes to show the mental, just you have to be so mentally engaged for every single minute of the game. So just another opportunity to learn. Well, while first place in the West might be up for grabs still, probably not for the Supporters' Shield with what's going on in the East, but there might not be a Supporters' Shield. In fact, that was the announcement. Now they're reconvening to talk about whether or not uh, they made the right decision, so maybe there still could be a Supporters' Shield on. We are going to have a debate, the three of us, about what they should do with the Supporters' Shield this year in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk with Eric Hurtado and Paulo Nagamura. Then you can stay tuned for a roundhouse debate between the three of us about the Supporter Shield. It's all straight ahead on the Sporting Kansas City Show. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show with Ali Trost, Carter Augustine. This is Nate Bucati, wherever you uh, listen to it on Sports Radio 810 WHB or your podcasts or watching it via video stream on the 810 YouTube or Facebook page. We appreciate however you take in the show, and we appreciate now the man that's joining us on the show, the man that just keeps scoring big goals for Sporting Kansas City every time he gets the opportunity, Eric Hurtado joins us. And uh, Eric is uh, is, I already pointed out when we were getting lined up here, He's got the festive uh, Halloween decor in the background, which I am a, a big Halloween fan. So thumbs up, Eric. Well done on the on the decorations. And how are you, man? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm feeling pretty uh, pretty good right now. Um, yeah, my girlfriend decorated the apartment, came back from one of our games, and the lights were set up, the cobwebs and everything. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So now whenever I get home, I set up the lights, and I just feel real festive. <laughs> are you a halloween guy 
my dorky fall decorations look like. I'm embarrassed now. I'm glad this is my view, so you can't. <laughs> Are you a Halloween guy, Eric? Do you like? Yeah, yeah, I like Halloween a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, I like it a lot. Um, it's fun to dress up, you know, and, and kick it with the friends on Halloween night. Um, this year, I think we have a game the next day, so we're gonna have to push it back a night. But um, I think we'll definitely be dressing up, and like I said, we're having a son um, at the end of the month, so hopefully he comes before Halloween or on Halloween. So then we can dress him up in a little like pumpkin outfit or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You guys planned like an, an out, you know, a couple's outfit because you gotta be a little flexible since you might be at the hospital. You might be at home. Might yeah. Um, we, we've talked about getting an outfit where he matches our dog. Um, maybe like Aladdin and what's the monkey's name? Abu. 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 So doing something like that or doing like uh, Woody and Buzz Lightyear, something, something cute like that. <laughs> Love it. Do you have a favorite uh, costume you've done in your past? Being a being a big Halloween guy. Uh, shoot, man. I like Aladdin. I was Aladdin last year, so that was pretty cool. And my girlfriend was Jasmine, so I was a good fit. Is that your favorite Disney movie? I'd probably say Lion King, the original. Okay. Yeah, I really like that. Okay. Didn't you guys, was it Halloween last year that you guys all dressed up? I have this image of Johnny Russell walking in as uh, Jon Snow. Was that Halloween or? That was two years ago. That was okay. two years ago. Um, but yeah, I saw the pictures and that was pretty cool. We <laughs> should do something like that again this year. There you go. And now you, now you might have a prop. So, hey, let's get into that because I, um, before we get to the goals and everything, first of all, we're going to relive one of the, maybe the greatest goal I've ever had a chance my own two eyes in person and i don't know if i cut out on you guys but what i was saying maybe the best in-person goal i've ever seen with my own two eyes but the moment right after it before we get to the goal itself you stick the ball up under your jersey and that usually is a sign that somebody's having a baby but i didn't know anything about it so i didn't want to say anything on the air about it and i'm i'm in my talk back talking to carter down on the sideline saying hey what's the story here? You know, is, 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 is he got a baby on the way? What's, what's the celebration about? And he's like, well, I'll find out, you know? So after the game, we find out that you've got a baby on the way, man, that is super exciting. Tell us what, what it's like in you, from your perspective, being an expecting father right now. Honestly, it's, it's the most amazing thing. Um, people say, once you hold your kid, it's the most amazing feeling. So right now the anticipation of holding him and seeing him is the most amazing feeling just to see, just to imagine like what he's going to look like, what he's going to sound like, what he's going to be like. Um, my girlfriend and I were setting up his baby room and getting everything set up for him. We have diapers, we have wipes, we have cribs, bouncy chairs, like everything just setting up waiting for him to come, you know? So just the anticipation is, is amazing. And, and every day, like her belly's getting a little bit bigger and we can feel him moving around in there. Sorry about that. Um, and we can feel him like moving around in there and it's just, it's super exciting and we can't wait for him to get here. Eric, you've said before in past interviews that your mom is your hero. What from the way that you were raised, are you going to take into how you're going to raise your son? Just love him through everything. Um, let him be his own person. Let him make his decisions on what he wants to do. For example, if he wants to play soccer, he wants to play soccer. If he wants to play tennis, he wants to play tennis. If he wants to play the piano, then he wants to play the piano. And I'll learn, learn to play the piano with him, you know? Um, so I just I just want him to be the best version of he can and to love him um, through everything that he does. Because that's what she did for me. That's a great, great outlook on it. Have you always kind of uh, thought yourself, looked towards the future of, of wanting to be a father? Oh, 100%. Ever since I was younger. 
um, like a kid. I wanted to, I wanted to be a dad. Um, so in the beginning, it was just me and my mom for like the first five and six years. So I didn't really have like a father figure. And so ever since like around the time that I was like conscious and aware of it, my number one goal was to be a dad and to be there for him every single day of the way. And so it's just been building up since I was a little kid and now it's finally here and, and it's super exciting. Can I give you, can I give you some unsolicited advice, Eric? For sure. <laughs> been through this three times, so I know everything. I've got it all figured out. I'm kidding. We'll give our advice, our childless advice next. So. It's great because by the third kid, you know, you don't make any mistakes. You just raise the perfect child. It's all, it's all good. Uh, no, but this doesn't have anything to do about parenthood because I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know anything about it. But somebody gave me this advice before having the babies, and I am so glad they did, and I'm so glad I listened to it, and that was to get a diary and write everything down the day that the baby is born. Because your wife can't do that, right? Or your girlfriend can't do that. You, she's busy. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and they tell you to do all this stuff about helping with the breathing and stuff. I, my wife did not want to hear that from me. Like when I was sitting there trying to breathe, she's like, I had a, I had a, a dumb, dumb sucker that was like coconut flavor. She's like, you better get that coconut flavor, dumb, dumb sucker out of my face, or I'm going to shove it down your throat, you know? And so, uh, but, but the point is I wrote down everything that I could think of that day as it was happening and, and by time. And then I went back and I kind of, while I was waiting in the hospital, the next couple of days, I typed it all out every birthday. I read that to the kids. And they love it. And I love it because it, dude, I cry every time I read it, you know, I bet. I bet. It, it, you, you think you're going to remember it all, but you just, it's just like everything else in life. You know, you don't, unless you do something to write it down and chronicle it. So that's my advice. Take it or leave it. I'll definitely take that. That's a great idea. I appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate like there's nothing bad that can come from it. And you're right, bro. It's like such an intense day that you're, it's going to be impossible for you to remember all the details. It's a whirlwind. And just the dumbest stuff. What song was on the radio when you're driving yeah. in, you know? Yeah, all that. Take you back and you'll be like, oh, yeah. 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 And then those songs, all of a sudden, they remind you of things. So, hey, so that's it. That's all, that's all advice I give you. Um, let's go to the goal. Um, I think the three of us all said the best. I, I, I think we all said the best goal we'd ever seen. Um, I'm just going to tell you what was going through my mind when I watched it. Ball's going through the air. This is we're going back to the goal you scored at home. Of course, we'll get to the one that you just scored in the last game as well. But the ball's going through the air, and I'm and I'm watching you from upstairs, and, and it looks like you're winding up to hit this thing and not bring it down. And I'll be honest, man, at first I'm like, oh, he's gonna kick this thing in over this <laughs> over the catwalk. <laughs> and I don't mean that as any disrespect to you at all. I just thought this is too hard of a shot for a ball coming from 35 yards away. And then, I mean, you put it as you couldn't have thrown it with your hands in a, in a better place. I mean, it was the perfect execution, perfect skill. And then I was like, Oh crap. I got to say something. <laughs> I have to, I have to describe this. And, and it was, it was just incredible, man. And um, I don't even know, like the pressure was like, I got to say something that just, that is worthy of this amazing of a strike. And I don't know that I did. Um, you didn't look surprised at all. I mean, like when it went in, you just had your hands on your hips. Like, yeah, that's what I do. Is that, is that, was it really that like when, when you scored, did you really think to yourself? Yeah, that's, that's it, man. It's easy as that. I, I wouldn't say that it was easy, but I can tell you um, 
throughout my life I've scored some some crazy goals like that and uh you know I just don't think that it's been out on the stage like that in front of the lights in front of the cameras but in practices and games in college and games in high school and games in club balls would come out of nowhere or I would I would shoot where there was no angle at and, and it would go in so when it went in the back of the net I was just like mm -hmm. all right let's go hey Eric I see you mentally taking notes there that Nate didn't think you'd be <laughs> that one in the back of the net no dis he, no he gave me good advice as a father so i'll let it slide <laughs> well one of the most interesting things i thought you know obviously the goal was amazing but after the game you bring up that yeah you've done this in the past before so of course i had to go do some digging and i found a story about your high school days and you scored a volley goal i believe a game winner against a rival called jesuit what do you remember from that game and and oh, yeah. scoring, you know, that goal in that moment. I one of the many, but I want to hear about that one. Yeah, so so Jesuit was uh, the private school in our in our conference in Oregon. And back in the day, high school was a big deal because there wasn't um, academy and club was in the different part of the year from high school soccer. So it was club soccer and high school soccer. Um, and so Jesuit, like I said, was the private school in our conference, and they were always the best team in the state. And in our high school history, we had never beaten Jesuit before. And so it was my junior year and we were at Jesuit and it was zero zero. And there was, I think maybe like 15 minutes left in the game. So the guy threw the ball into me and I was probably at the corner of the 18, um, the goal is this way. So I take the ball at the corner and I take off my chest. I hit it with my thigh. I just kind of like side volley it. And it goes in the same spot, just like corner down into the goal. And we won the game. It was the first time that we'd beaten Jesuit in the school history. And we ended up winning the first conference title that our school had had. Um, because of that game win too so um, not on the big stage like a professional game but same type of goal hey still a, a big stage nonetheless that's uh yeah what a story and we got to see it for ourselves um, the thing that interested me after the game talking to both you and Amadou Dia you guys both said um, without me asking that you had practiced that similar movement several times um, throughout the week uh, maybe throughout the these past months. Um, I'm curious, you know, what's, what's that relationship with Amadou Dia and um, seeing it come to fruition? How does that feel? Oh, it feels good when your work pays off. Um, you know, that's my dog on the team. And, and like you said, we did. We came in um, a few weeks in a row and the ball would get played out to him. He would take a few touches, dribble some cones, do whatever he had to do to get himself in the game-like position out there on the wing. And then he would cross me the ball, like behind the box, he would cross me the ball in the box, and I would have to one-time finish it. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't exactly like that play, but it was the same type of play that we had practiced time after time again. And, and when we're on the field, he knows where to find me and, and he knows to look for me in behind. And it was pretty cool that we got to link up like that. So I got a call from Benny Failhaber after the game. And- oh, really? <laughs> He said, he, he goes, hey, dummy. He called me a dummy. And he said, um, you guys bring up all these goals. Do you not remember the goal that Eric scored against us at Children's Mercy Park just a couple years earlier off of a volley that he put right over the goalkeeper's head? And I'm like, I guess I blocked. I mean, I remember him scoring a goal, but I didn't remember exactly how it went down. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember. We should ask Tim if he remembers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he does. That one was, I went back and watched it. That was with the outside of the foot. Yeah. And then, and now I hear you say, man, I, I, I do stuff. And we, and we did to be fair for our listeners, Eric's not just talking game here. 
every one of his teammates that we've all talked to says, oh, he scores goals like this in practice all the time. So this is, this is real talk here. But my question is then, how do you practice volleys that, that, I mean, they all are coming from different directions. You know, a ball's coming over your shoulder. It's coming from over here. It's coming from over here. Do you practice balls coming from all over the place? Is it just something you had a natural knack for from day one? Can you tell us about that skill a little bit? I'd say it's a combination of both. Um, you know, I practice in and around the box, different types of finishing with the coaches and with my teammates um, as much as I can. Um, but the one against Kansas City with Vancouver, I just saw the ball coming across me and it just, I just shot the ball, you know, it just, it was instinct, you know? Um, and so it's like, I don't think I've really practiced that one, um, but, sorry, my cat. Um, but, but yeah, I'm definitely, uh, definitely a little combination of both. I feel like you'd be really good with the hacky sack, you know, just like finding that sweet spot on your foot. Like it's one of those things I feel like with like juggling techniques too. I mean. My hips would not allow that. <laughs> my hips are too tired to get that hacky sack. The inside. <laughs> well, I was just going to say after the game uh, with that goal, specifically Johnny Russell made it a point to just, you know, say, Hey, this takes a ton of confidence. Most recently against Chicago, you are, falling down to one side and you still find a way to, to slot it in past the keeper. So, you know, just the confidence that you have in and around net, how did that start? And, you know, how does that keep growing as more goals uh, get put next to your name? Um, well, first of all, I'm just, I'm, I'm really fortunate to have a good team around me and good players around me that set me up to put me in the position to score those goals. Um, but like I said, since I was, since I was young, um, I was a striker, I was a winger, and so I would, I would just be going and attacking and trying to score as many goals as possible and getting in different types of positions. And I didn't always make the goals. I would miss the goals. So then I would know what I had to do differently. And I was just learning in my whole career and my whole life, it's been like a learning experience. And I feel like the older that I'm getting, um, the more confidence I'm having in being able to put the ball in the places that it needs to be. Um, you know, but th with that being said, like, I'm going to miss shots. Everyone misses shots. They're human, you know, um, but when I get my chance, like you guys have said, I'm just, I just, uh, just got to be focused and I just got to stay confident and know that I have put it in the back of the net in these situations before and that I can do it again to help my team get the points um, and the wins that we need. Well, like you said, when you get your chance and you have gotten a chance here over the past few games and you're taking it with both hands and Allie mentioned it, uh, the goal against Chicago, I think uh, maybe a little underrated because maybe because of the world you just scored before it, but um, <laughs> a really difficult goal. Well taken. Can you take us kind of through, through that play and what led to, to the goal that you scored in Chicago? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think, well, what we work on as a team um, consistently is, is pressing the ball and, and luring the opposing team into a certain area where we can attack and pounce on them. I think we did a really good job as a team of, of, creating a circle around the, the midfielder who coughed the ball up. And I think Ilya did a good job of pressing him, which turned him into Gotti. Gotti wins the ball. And that's just, you know, as soon as he wins the ball and we have a whole half to attack him to, it's just my instinct to just make a run in behind. And so I just took off and, and he knew to just play me in behind. And, um, and I got it. And I, I knew I had to take a big touch because that dude was like 6'5 or something like that. So I had to get behind him real quick. And I saw that he was going to stick his arm out. So I tried to get around him a little bit and he got a little push on me, but I was still able to like stay up enough to get the ball and put it in the back corner. That was a terrific goal. Um, and I want to talk once again, we're visiting with Eric Hurtado before we let you go. I, I want to bring it to the team stuff a little bit because 
look, these two road games, I think it's, it's easy to make the case that you guys would feel like you should have come away with four points instead of one and some controversial calls, some bad breaks, uh, things like that, you know, happen through the course of the season. But I'm curious if, if you guys maybe have a little chip on your shoulder uh, even more so than normal after some of the stuff that's happened over the past week. And I'm not asking you to comment on any of those things. I don't want to get you in trouble, but just in terms of your guys' attitude going into these last five games, what, what, what are you guys uh, feeling like right now after what all has transpired in the last couple of weeks? No, you're definitely right. I mean, we already have a chip on our shoulder um, and now we have an even bigger one. Um, we feel like we were done wrong and I'm not afraid to say it. I feel like we were done wrong back to back games and, what they're essentially doing is creating a bigger monster in ourselves. So they're going to see what we have to give um, for the rest of the season. And, and, and we're going to do everything in our power plus more. And we're going to treat every game like it's a final, like it's a playoff game. Um, Cause that's the only option right now. Um, we're trying to get as high seeding as we can. We want to win the Western conference. That's our goal. And so every game is a final right now for us. A, a bigger monster just in time for Halloween. You guys are, are going to be uh, real scared to come into October here. Uh, speaking yep. of, I had to do it. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, of the playoffs and, and such an unusual year, you know, how does that change, if at all, the preparation for you guys knowing that, you know, it, it's not going to be a, a typical postseason like it has been maybe in the past? I think we're just taking it week by week, adapting as we can, like we have the whole year of 2020, you know, and um, I think whatever team is able to adapt the best is going to finish the best, you know. So, like I said, we just got to take it week by week and, um, and, and see, how that, see how that goes for us. Um, and like I said, I think we're doing pretty well with that. Well, I feel like it's been half week by half week here recently, the, exactly, with exactly. all the games. And uh, you finally actually get a, a full week this week to to uh, prepare for Colorado Rapids. Of course, you guys have played them a, a few times, but um, what's it going to be like to have an actual game week? Like a, it feels semi-normal. And then, you know, this Colorado team, they traded Kai Kamara away, but they've been in this uh, coronavirus situation for weeks now. So um, it's kind of a, a strange game. What are you anticipating in this one? Shoot, man. You're right. It's, I mean, it's been a long time since we had a regular week. Um, and it's kind of strange having a couple of days off and coming in and doing like match day minus four and then tomorrow match day minus three. It's a little weird, um, but it's it's good because, like I said, you adapt to it and, and you got to be ready for anything. Um, what to, what we should expect from them? I don't know, man. I We should expect that they're going to be hungry. They haven't played in a couple of weeks. Um, they're going to try and get as many points as they can um, to help them get into the playoff spot, get into a good spot. Um, but we also know that they're not going to be game fit and we are game fit and we are, we as a team are, are really, really fit. So um, if we just play to our strengths and, and we attack and we press and, and we shut them down defensively like we can, then um, we should be able to take care of business. Well, we can't wait to see you back out on the field, Eric, and best of luck with the baby and all that. We, we can't wait to hear the great news and congratulations on everything already this season. And uh, we'll hopefully talk to you again real soon. Thanks for the time, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate the advice. I appreciate talking to you guys. It was always a good time. Um, yeah, enjoy your day and see you soon. A bigger monster just in time for Halloween. There you go, Eric Hurtado. Go. He's already scary. He's a big, strong guy already. And now he's, he's a monster like the rest of the team. So we'll take a break. We come back. Paulo Nagamura is going to join us on the show right after this. 
All right, we continue with the Sporting Kansas City show on Sports Radio 810 WHB and on the podcasts and on the video streaming on the 810 Facebook page and YouTube Facebook page. Our thanks to Eric Hurtado for joining us on the uh, show. And now we're joined by another man. Um, When I go through my mind of the best goals I've ever had a chance to call in my Sporting KC career, Paulo Nagamura has done it is one of the ones that stands out in my mind. He scored some big-time long-range goals in his career, and the ones that he scored against Vancouver in that, that epic comeback uh, will, will always stand out to me. Uh, Paulo, how are you, man? Thanks for joining us. Great, great. Uh, again, thanks. Thanks again for, for being part of the show. Always love to be here with you guys. I am looking forward to for- it. And, and for those that don't know, hopefully everybody does know, but of course, Paulo Nagamura, legendary Sporting Kansas City player, but also now the manager of Sporting KC2, used to be known as Swope Park Rangers, but now the, the Sporting KC2 side that uh, we've seen a lot of players come through on their way to the first team, and what a year it's been. Uh, you guys, what did you have, one home game all season long, Paulo? Well, if you count the first game before the, the, the season was suspended, we actually had two. Okay. <laughs> two out of 16 and 14 on the road. Uh, difficult year, tough year, but considering all the, the, the things that we went through, I think it was a very positive year. You learn a lot about people when you have to travel with them. Am I right to say that? That you know, if you're if you're stuck with people on the road for a long period of time, you're going to get to know uh, them a little bit better, for better or for worse. So, what did you learn about your team or your coaching staff through those many uh, days and weekends traveling? Absolutely. I think the first thing that I can say about our coaching staff and our players is that they are a group of warriors. It's not easy. It's not easy to, in three months, uh, have 14 different road trips, uh, go back to Indianapolis four times, St. Louis four times, and Louisville four times. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. So uh, we spent a lot of time together in bus rides and hotels. Uh, and I can I can tell you that our group that we had this year uh, it was special in that terms. They were warriors. They were resilient. And uh, to be honest, that show a lot on the field with the, a lot of great performance that we have we had uh, in this past season. Yeah, Paul. I was going to say uh, we were talking about getting a bus and just kind of doing an I seventy East trip, and wanted to know <laughs> if you if you if you wanted to join us on, on that trip. <laughs> I'll pass on that one, Carter. Maybe next year. <laughs> you got to have that. I, I got to imagine you guys have the billboards and everything memorized down I-70. I mean, what what an incredible uh, warrior is a is a good dis- description that you use. I think. Um, I guess how how challenging is that to have to play every single game on the road, aside from the one when when we came back from uh, coronavirus. Oh, it's it's difficult, right? It's especially in the USL when you play and look, you're playing against San Luis, Indianapolis, and Louisville with all due respect to other teams. But three three teams there, uh, when you start the season, you say probably the favorites to be not only in the playoffs, but to be the champions of, of, of the league. 
So it's not like you playing against another MLS2 team with all due respect. There are, there are teams that they invest money, they they put a lot into it to, to be champions of USL. So very difficult in that aspect. We playing some very good, we played some very good teams with a lot of experienced uh, players, players that have international experience, MLS experience. So uh, not only that, they it's different environments as, environments as well. It was really difficult to play in Austin uh, for the first time. Um, so a lot of challenges, a lot of challenges, but I always say, I, li I always like to, to see in a positive way. And, and I think that that experience, it, it brought a lot of benefits for our players. A lot of good things were taken uh, from those games to our young players. I think the experience that they had uh, in this year, especially with the, with the pandemic, uh, when we look back, we say, uh, we, we, we definitely gonna say, uh, Good that we had that year because uh, I think it was an experience that they need to grow and they needed to to evolve in their careers. Yeah, I tell you what, I mean, it's it's hard enough going from be, being an amateur to a professional and all of the challenges and expectations that go with that. You throw a pandemic and all these bus trips and all that stuff on top of it. Th these kids really uh, got put to the test. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Paulo, is you know, the, the the history of Swope Park Rangers and SKC two. In the early years, they, they brought in a lot of players from elsewhere in USL, around the country, and the teams were competitive right away. But the idea always has been that this was going to be a bridge from the academy to, to graduate guys to the first team. And then last year, I felt like, okay, we saw a lot of young academy guys, and they took it on the chin. I mean, the results were, were not great last year. This year, it was still a lot of young academy guys but you started cranking out results, especially um, as the season went on. I was really impressed considering all the fact that you were playing all these away games against good teams and you guys were scoring goals, getting draws, getting some wins. Um, what do you think, what do you chalk that up to? Why did you guys make that big step in that progression and how important was it to go out and get some results this year com compared to last year? Absolutely. I think we're still, we're still getting the right formula, right? I think you're right. The first year, maybe we got a lot of players from, from uh, elsewhere in USL and, and different teams. Uh, and last year, we, we played with a lot of young teams and uh, young, young players, and we, we suffer, right? We suffer. So I think heading to this year, uh, 2020, we knew that we need we need a couple of senior guys, guys that are more experienced to help with the, the young talent that we, that we have here. And it's just a natural process, right? I mean, the academy is doing a great job and it's producing better and better players every year. So the idea is to, uh, one day have, have lined up 11 academy uh, players on, on the starting 11. With that being said, we have to be uh, just uh, cautious because like last year, we. We can't just expose the young kids to play in a professional environment where they're just going to suffer, suffer, suffer. In my opinion, uh, it's detrimental to their development if they're just experiencing defeat after defeat after defeat. So this year, I think we had a good mixture of young, uh, young players with senior players. Uh, and that, what, what that gives, it gives a little support. And now they can experience a little bit of success winning games uh, playing competitive games against good teams. So I think 
in my opinion, that's what they need to evolve and grow and, and, and develop beyond their, on their young age. So we still work on the, on the right formula, right? We, I mean, I don't think uh, we're still, we're there yet, but definitely it's, it, it's getting better every year. We know what we're doing here. And at the end of the day, uh, our, our job is to push these young players to the first team. That's, that's the whole idea. Paulo, you talk about the players and they're, and they're one piece of it. Their attitude, mentality, and their success helps make you and, and Sporting KC2 successful. But I want to talk about your progression as a coach and how you feel your experiences attributed to that success on the field this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think this year was a little different and I, I kind of, uh, I can, I can speak this openly because it was very clear. Uh, it's, Look, the, to be a, a, a coach on the second team, it brings you a lot of challenges because of movement players, of how players come down and, and, and they have to play certain minutes. So you, as a coach, you, your control is limited in that way. Well, with, with this year, with the pandemic, we had a more close group where I could work on daily basis and week by week, every week with the same group. So uh, I... It was definitely a step forward in my career in terms of how to develop a team, in terms of how to develop uh, the weakness and the strengths of the team. So I think that was one of the biggest reasons uh, why a lot of times we're successful in the field. But like I said, being a coach of second team, it brings you different challenges, right? Sometimes you don't have the luxury of that, uh, uh, training the, the starting 11 throughout the week. So <clears throat> in that terms, I think, I, it was a great year for myself as a coach to to experience that as well. Uh, but I I I know that my role depends a lot on on first team coming down and academy guys going up. So uh, it's a role that is like I said before brings a different challenge, and you have to you have to uh, um, make the better of it. Well, you talked, Paulo, about uh, kind of trying to bring guys through the academy, through SKC2 and up to the first team. And I think this year, especially seeing a lot of that pay dividends for sporting Kansas City, We're seeing Gianluca Busio getting the most minutes he's ever had. He spent a lot of time with the Rangers, uh, Jalen Lindsay in there. John Pulskamp now is is, is up and, and seems to be having a good time with sporting Kansas City. But I wanted to ask you about arguably the greatest Swill Park Ranger of all time, Felipe Hernandez, who... I think made the, a huge jump last year under your tutelage. And again, this year, I think everyone has seen what he's done and, and he seems to, to have made another jump. Um, uh, he's a player that's been compared to Roger Espinosa. I think some people have compared him to you as well, the type of player he is. What do you see from, from Felipe Hernandez uh, over the years and, and, and especially this year? He has grown immensely uh, and look, it's all merit to Felipe, okay? He, Marie, Felipe has a great mentality. He's a worker, he's a hard worker, and, and he's, he's, he's collecting the fruits that he planted for all his years with, with Academy and SPR, right? Uh, we all know what kind of player he is, uh, but I, I agree with you. He has grown immensely, and look, his success is the success of the entire club. Right, he's doing well. Is the it's a sign that what we're doing here with the academy and the second team and the first team, 
it, it, it's the right thing to do, right? When he steps on the field and plays well and helps Sporting Kansas City first team win games, that's what we want, right? We, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to produce players that can help Peter Vermees and his staff to win games at the weekend. And uh, Felipe has shown, and he all, all, all merits to him because he he's a hard worker. He never gave up. And, and, and we're really glad that he's doing well now with the first team. One of the big differentiators for, for Felipe, too, was that he signed a Swope Park Rangers contract first. A lot of the young guys want to sign that first team contract right off the bat. And you understand that. And if they can do it, great. But I know Peter talked about that when Felipe made it, that this is important to set an example for the other players that, hey, you might not be getting an offer with the first team right now, but you're getting a professional offer to play on a professional club. And this is a step for you. Have you used that message a lot? Hey, look at Felipe to, to some of the young guys that you're coaching right now. Absolutely. I think it's the pathway, right? It's, a, it's the pathway. Uh, there's a couple of guys that probably are signed straight from academy to MLS, homegrown. There's some guys assigned to USL and do well to go to MLS, right? It, everyone has, has a different path. That doesn't mean that we as a club don't have a plan for them, right? I mean, every player is different. Uh, Peter's squad varies every year. So it's a lot of moving parts. And it, if the players are doing their jobs in terms of daily basis, working hard and, and, and performing and, and evolving and developing, uh, I'm 100% sure that they're going to end up with, with the MLS team, with first team. So Felipe is a great example that he went through all the process, all the steps to, to make that first team. And, and the, our young guys should see him and, and idolize that because it's, it's what we have here. And, and I think this is the pathway they have to go through. I don't think that skipping steps uh, will, help, will, will help, those, help those players, right? But every player is different. Again, there's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes that sometimes make... Uh, some guy here or there going uh, in a different category. Paulo, you talked a lot about how impressed you were with the way that your team and your players handled the adversity of this season, but who's a player in particular, speaking of those steps taken to get to that next level, who maybe impressed you or surprised you? Uh, I know it might be hard to pick just one, but just a player that, you know, you noticed a huge step in their progression. Well, um, I'd say first, well, we have a, a lot of good surprises this year. Not that we were surprised, but guys that really, really uh, had a step forward on their careers. And I think I start with Wilson Harris, right? Uh, Wilson Harris has consistently uh, doing well with West KC2, right? Uh, he has uh, grown tremendously in terms of his game. Uh, uh, and he's a goal scorer. I mean, look... It's not easy to score 20 goals uh, in USL being only 20 years old. Is that, am I right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not only scoring goals, he's, he's performing well. He's playing between the lines better. He's connecting with the, with the wingers well. He makes good hard runs in behind. Always get he, he, uh, himself in good places. Uh, his defensive work has, helped, uh, has, uh, has improved immensely. So... He was definitely one guy that this year has stepped up his game and 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 made him uh, 
himself aware of the I think the first team staff, right? Uh, another guy is I think it was Jake Davis. Jake Davis uh, from last year to this year has also really really done well. Um, and there's another guy that is is going the right direction, right? That doesn't mean that he he's made it or he he's going to be the next guy. That just means that the guys are going the right direction and they have to go through those steps in order to, to earn their MLS contract. It's not easy, right? They have to earn it. And I think uh, I can name in three, four, five more guys that were like that. Uh, so we're just, we're, just, we're just trying to help those guys to go in the right direction. So, Paulo, the, the season's over now. USL season for you guys is over. Um, I guess what's your what, what are the next steps for you in, in this offseason? Uh, maybe a, a well-deserved vacation? No, we already started for next year. <laughs> <laughs> we already started. We, are, we keep a close eye here on the academy players uh, to make sure that we are assessing them well and make sure that we have everything planned out for, for them as well, because we, we have a lot of talent in the academy and we don't want uh, those players to be unnoticed or uh, we don't want to waste the talent that we have here. Of course, there's a lot of planning in terms of how we're going to build the roster for next year. And we have an idea on how, how we want to do that, the positions that we're looking at. Uh, so that, that already started with scouting and, and, and looking and watching the college players as well. So there's a lot of things going on uh, and we'll leave the vacation for a later date. We just got to make sure that we are we're ready heading to the 2021 because we hope that it's going to be a different year. The pandemic will probably be better and when we go back to, to a normal routine. Well, Paulo, if you are, when, when the vacation time does come, I'm just making a suggestion, but I hear Indianapolis is beautiful this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've, I, I've, I've been to every sightseeing in Indianapolis, St. Louis, and Louisville. Uh, I think I, I, I'm good with those three cities. <laughs> okay. Well, if we ever need travel tips, if, we, if we're all going to those places, we know who to call is uh, Paul Nagamura. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for the time. And, and look, I'm, I'm going to say this too. You, you, you've got a family. You know, and, and a lot of times I know when guys retire from soccer, one of the first things they want to do is stop traveling. They want to spend time with their family. And you sacrificed a lot of that this year to, to, to do this with these young guys. And so I think everybody in the organization owes you a big thank you. Uh, we know how fortunate the young players in sporting are to have your leadership at the helm. So thanks for everything and thanks for the time today. We really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you very much for the words. And again, it's always a pleasure to be here with you guys whenever you guys need it. All right, that's one of the all-time greats, Paulo Nagamura. And uh, we're going to be back to wrap things up with a little debate about the Supporters' Shield right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. All right, back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show. Our thanks to Eric Hurtado and Paulo Nagamura for joining us on the show today. We're going to wrap things up with some news, guys. Came out three days ago. And I don't know if you guys knew that the Supporters Shield Foundation board existed. I'll confess I didn't. But they put out a statement three days ago saying, quote, after much consideration and discussion, the Supporter Shield Foundation has decided to forego awarding the Supporter Shield for the 2020 season. 
This is not an easy decision to make. With the inability for supporters to be in attendance and fill their stadiums with passion, however, we feel as though the current climate goes against the spirit of the shield. There's a few more paragraphs to it, but that's the, the main thrust of their statement. So no supporter shield, they say, for 2020. Um, a lot of people had been debating whether or not the supporter shield would be valid this year with everybody playing such an overwhelmingly unbalanced schedule and all of that. Uh, the team that's leading the supporter shield race right now is Toronto. Uh, you can imagine that maybe they would be the most upset about the idea of there not being a supporter shield. Greg Vanny, their head coach, who I don't remember spitting a lot of fire through the course of his managerial career, but maybe I just haven't noticed it as much. He spit some fire on this one. He said, quote, my players are pissed. It is a huge sign of disrespect to the players. It has arguably been the most difficult season in the history of our league where people have put their health at risk to play and put games on television for fans. This season required a huge commitment from all the teams. People were genuinely afraid for their health. It's a disgraceful decision that delegitimizes the whole idea of the shield in our opinion. Those uh, made the decision are like the kids in a park who take the ball away when the game isn't going their way. It's childish and a symbol that they don't know how sports operate. Uh, wow. So those are the comments from Greg Vanny. Ali Trost, I'll give you the first argument. Where do you stand on? Now, by the way, we've been told now that some members of the supporters groups have said, wait a second, we weren't uh, notified of this by the committee. Uh, we want to reconvene and discuss this. So maybe it's still up for grabs. We'll have to wait and see. Where? What would you advise them if they met again, Ali? Where do you come down on this? No, I thought it was, I, I thought that the foundation account on Twitter was legitimately fake. So I honestly, when I found out that this was a real thing, because it's not like a verified account, I was like, is this like, what's going on here? Um, so I was thoroughly shocked just because I, I think we've talked about it a lot, guys, that, you know, this season isn't one that should have an asterisk by it. It's one that should be regarded with a lot of um, you know, respect, pride for the players, teams who, uh, you know, put themselves through it. And so to take away an award that is, you know, such a huge part of Major League Soccer just kind of delegitimizes the sacrifice and the effort put in by these teams, regardless of all of the outside factors that everyone knows makes it a different season. So I think that it should absolutely be an award. And if they don't want to have it be the true Supporter Shield Award, come up with a spinoff at least. But I, I think, you know, you keep the award as is. Carter, where do you stand? Yeah, I, I would. I, I think you do award it this year. I really do. Um, so I guess in, in all, I disagree with the with the decision. Uh, and you know, it looks like they're getting together, like you said, and maybe and talking it over. Um, my reasoning is, yeah. I I see that this year is is super unbalanced. But the schedule is usually unbalanced. I think it was only a balanced year two times um, in MLS history. Unfortunately for MLS fans, the LA Galaxy won the Supporters Shield in both of those years, I believe. Um, and some people call it the only true, the only true, se the only true MLS seasons. But uh, I, I do, I would disagree with the the vitriolic reaction from Greg Vanny and. Uh, some other people on Twitter saying it's a heinous uh, decision because I do think they have a point with the fact that, you know, the Toronto played Montreal, however many times, but I, I would like to see a, I'd like to see a breakdown of like average opponents face per year, because I, I, I wonder if it's even that different um, this, this year. So 
for me, every season is is unbalanced as it, as it is. And actually, if this season didn't get interrupted, we were going to see the most unbalanced season so far um, because of all the expansion and how they had split up the schedule this year. So this year was going to be unbalanced regardless. Um, so I think just in the end, I understand them kind of looking at it and saying it's kind of been like a regional tournament at times this year. And so it seems a little strange to give away the, the regular season uh, supporter shield champion. But um, while I hear the argument, I just disagree. And, and I agree with Ali's point that it's been a trying year for everyone. Everyone's gone through all different types of circumstances and yeah, maybe the schedule is, favors one team or the other slightly, but um, for me, it's still, I think you have to uh, reward the, the, the winner at the end of a long season like this. I have to say that Greg Vanny changed my opinion with his, with the fire that he spit. And I don't think I would call the decision by this committee uh, a mean spirited one or, or anything like that, but I would call it a, an inconsiderate one. And I'm saying that, and that might be unfair, but I'm putting my own thoughts into what they did. Um, because honestly, we'd have conversations this season. And I remember even saying like, I don't know how you give out a supporter shield. I mean, what's it even going to mean this year when you're not playing, you know, even the majority of teams in your league, let alone uh, all the teams in your league. It's such a weird stop start season. And I kind of was just thinking about it from the standpoint of what the trophy uh, means in terms of it, it representing this is the team that won the total points for the regular season. Um, I was not considering exactly what Greg Vanny said about what everyone in this league has been through this year and what we're asking the players to do. Because I'll be honest, I was one of the ones when they were talking about going down to Orlando that said, come on, man, everybody's, you know, go, go down there and play if you can, because you're getting tested. Everybody's being asked to do something in this country. It's sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. You know what? You can't be cavalier about that. You can't then turn around later when these guys go through all this and they are risking things, you know, they're risking their health. They're putting themselves out there in a field where they're face to face with each other and all of that stuff. You can't turn around then and say, yeah, it didn't mean anything. It doesn't count. You know, and, and I, I think that's where the anger from Greg Vanny comes from. And I think he's right. You got, I mean, these guys are competitors. They should feel proud about what they accomplished, whoever ends up with it. And we can all sit here and debate for the rest of our lives, how much it did or didn't mean. And, and I also don't see where's the harm in giving it to somebody this year. What's going to happen if you give it to somebody versus what's going to happen if you don't. You give it to somebody, we can all argue it for the rest of the time. And somebody gets to paint their wall or say whatever they say. But if you don't give it, you just told these guys that, that, that what you've just done. And think about this to all of the stop start of, are we going to have a game this week because there's a COVID outbreak on the other team? Are we, am, am I exposed to COVID now because there's an outbreak on my own team? All that stuff. I think it's, dis, I think it's, uh, it's um, inconsiderate to then take that away and say, well, because we as fans can't be there as much as we'd like to, um, there's no trophy. And I would also say it's inconsiderate to all the fans who still have been every bit as invested emotionally in this season as they would have been and who wish they could be at the stadiums like crazy and are watching these games on Zoom and joining all the watch parties like the ones we're having, the virtual watch parties and all that stuff. They're still supporters. They still care. You know, the, the supporters that showed up at – 
um, Compass Minerals to um, to see off Carter and all the players when they went down to Orlando. Seems like it still matters to the supporters in that regard. So kind of that's where I come. I don't know if you guys have any final thoughts on that, but I, I hope after I heard the way Greg Vanny said it, I thought, you know what, darn it, he's right. And, and and I don't and it'd be easy to say it if you're in Toronto's situation because hey we're about to win a trophy. I'm saying that as a, as a broadcaster for a team that I think it's a real long shot that we win it. So I don't have anything riding on it. If I if my team were in first place right now and they said you're not getting this trophy, I'd be throwing a major fit. It, I, I think it's just like the lack of perspective on that decision. You know, it, it was like it was made through the lens of a couple of people instead of really trying to put, you know, yourself in the position of players, you know, how fans actually might feel. And, and I think, you know, that's why now they're kind of backtracking because they're realizing that, Hey, maybe this wasn't a decision that was made considering all of, you know, these, these different groups of people or all these different viewpoints. And, and I, and I'm glad that they're reviewing it for that reason. And, and I guess if I were to come up with one solution that might appease both sides, if this is something that the supporters shield foundation is passionate about, you know, taking away this year, well, maybe because it has been very regional and maybe uh, a bit more conference play than, than usual. And Carter, I would, I would rely on you to maybe find the numbers on that, but you know, maybe you have an Eastern conference and a Western conference supporter shield to, to try and balance out the un, you know, the unbalanced schedules. If, you know, if teams have been playing uh, more teams within their conference and, you know, in their region. So that would be one solution, but I, I just think that, Hey, it's a good thing that they're they're going back and looking at this because it sounds like most people think that there should still be a supporter shield. Yeah, and I mean, just like a, a cursory look, sure, Toronto played Montreal four times and they played Vancouver three times, but I, yeah, I, I I just feel like overall the it won't be that different than a than a normal MLS year. So. Um, yeah, hopefully they, they take another look at it and maybe come up with a different uh, different decision. Uh, I, I want to talk this week with some of the sporting players because I know that um, throughout the last couple of months, they've talked about the supporter shield being a goal of theirs this season. So I would imagine most teams kind of were still looking at it as something to, to strive for. So now that Toronto's in pole position and, you know, you have to say Philadelphia's Philadelphia and Columbus still really in the hunt Seattle probably still really in the hunt and sporting you know not outside chance um I I don't think their opinions as as sports ball players will will have uh changed over these over these past couple of weeks and at the end of the at the end of the day I have to imagine most teams will be tipping their cap to whoever does lift the supporter shield instead of saying well they only they got to play uh Vancouver three times and Montreal four times and they also had to play outside of their country for a while. Everybody's had a different set of circumstances and adversities. Last point I have to make, there should be a, a supporter shield for just simply avoiding COVID outbreaks within your team. <laughs> that is like in and of itself a huge, and that's not to, you know, it's not a knock on Colorado because I, I understand that, you know, oftentimes it's not because a team wasn't following the rules, but hey, that's a pretty big accomplishment if your team was able to avoid an outbreak. The COVID shield, you shielded yourself from COVID well enough to, to get through the season. You get a trophy. I don't know. We'll figure that out at some other point. We're going to wrap things up now. Don't forget Saturday night, Sporting KC versus Colorado Rapids. 
Uh, they finally get to play each other. Uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that everything goes smoothly from here until then. The game can be heard on ESPN Radio 94.5 FM, and you can watch it on Fox Sports Kansas City. So for Eric Hurtado, Paulo Nagamura, Ali Trost, and Carter Augustine, this is Nate Bucati saying thanks for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time on the Sporting Kansas City Show.